0: You are listening to Ayahuasca Talks, and I am your host, Rebecca Hayden. For those of you who are interested in self-discovery and healing through hypnosis, please email me at rebecca.hayden at gmail.com to book a free consultation. Welcome to another edition of Ayahuasca Talks. Today, I have Dr. Greg Brown with me. Greg is a grassroots advocate for plant medicine, from food to entheogens. He's a board-certified internist and a fellow traveler based in Texas. Greg has an integrative primary care practice opening in January in San Antonio, primarily serving the South Side, but offering remote consultations as well. He has traveled to the Middle East as a volunteer physician for refugees, and to North and South America, studying plant medicines. Welcome, Greg. Howdy. (laughs) So glad you're finally on the show. I've wanted to do this for so long. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So let's kick off with um, uh, one of the things we discussed earlier, an insight you received when you were in Peru. Um, Mm -hmm. And this was one of those messages that Um, that kind of send us on certain journeys as well, you know, uh, in our lives. And this one um, was, You Cannot Fail.
1: Right. Um, You know, I I, I think personally, uh, you know, I started studying this and really starting personal work um, in a serious way about four years ago now. And... Um, you know, when you're on the path, there's forward progress, there's setbacks. Um, the last year I've been, uh, working on getting the clinic going, stepping out of corporate medicine and which came to me in great part because of work with you and the hypnosis that we did for a while and, uh, probably battling those questions about, uh, not only w- what am i doing but can can i do this and the message came very clearly as it does sometimes you know you you get different messages and dreams and other ways and sometimes they're metaphorical and you have to think about them um i feel like every once in a while i get one in english in the english language because that's what <laughs> i'm gonna <laughs> that's what i need to really understand it and it was just you you cannot fail not necessarily this one project or anything but life in general it's not a test there's no past fail we're we're here on our journeys um and you know i think to learn and experience all sorts of things but whatever the journey is we're here and we're we're not going to be found wanting in the process of it
0: yeah yeah i think unfortunately when we're young we really get that sense of life as being um, about what we experience in school you know mm-hmm. it's not just about learning it's about testing and you know did you learn these things in the way that we wanted you to kind of thing and and the passing is this whole you know you get supported and celebrated by everybody and the fail is just like this terrible shame
1: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's right.
0: experience sometimes and you carry that with you for so long you know it's so crazy but um, now we're you know, many of us are working on and doing that so that we can really move forward in our lives. And I think you took a great leap forward. Um,
1: Yeah.
0: I remember I just wanted, given that we're talking about this now and this big decision, which was not easy. um, Many of us are (laughs) asked to, you know, do these great leaps and it takes time to get there. And I remember when you were working, one of your methods that really works well for you are internal family systems. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And remember, and as you know, and as has been explained to me by so many people and as I've experienced, you know, working with people that all these, that we have these characters within us that play different roles in our lives. And some of them are meant to protect us, but they can cause all kinds of problems. But, um, when it came to you working with me and wanting to call in the family system, they all showed up to say, (laughs) quit that job, you know?
1: (laughs) I think it still took me a year, year and a half, maybe after that message to get it, but to make it happen.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but you know what, the the stuff that you face, like the stuff that all of us face when we try to make those leaps, those are the things that really make us grow. I think that sometimes, the accomplishment in and of itself isn't as great as all the the hurdles that we create for ourselves and having to dissolve them or traverse right. them in that process, you know?
1: Right. To f- figure out what the lesson is and um, accept it, I think.
0: Hmm. And also come up against all those things that have been telling you no and figuring out where they're coming from and, and finding ways to not follow them anymore and hopefully dissolve them so that they're, you're not continually up against them anymore.
1: Oh gosh. Yes. Yeah. I mean, like you said, from, from childhood, we're, we're trained in certain ways. And one way is if, if you quote unquote fail, then someone's going to tell you, Oh, it's okay. You'll do better next time. Or you're good at this other thing. And, and, and you're told all these ego soothing things instead of, Instead of just, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Sometimes these things mm-hmm. happen. We have, we've all had it happen. We're still here. There's no threat mm-hmm. to you.
0: <laughs> yeah. It seems like a big thing when you're a kid. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I've even had, you know, uh, clients who are kids who are facing those kinds of things. And the fear associated with failing is, is it's pretty extreme. Mm-hmm. And, Agreed. And, you know... Then, The way that I respond to that is like, actually, you know, this test is not for you. It's to find out if the teachers have been able to sufficiently share with you enough information (laughs) for you to be able to do what it is they're asking you to do. Otherwise, you know, more needs to be done on their end, you know, it's like, let's turn this around. They're there for you, right? (laughs) They're serving you. How did this all get so upside down? This leads me to another story that you shared that I thought was pretty incredible about how one incident when you were a child really compromised your ability to feel safe and feeling joy. And I want you to share about that because that was pretty impactful.
1: Yeah. So it must have been, I was in preschool sometime uh, in, in Southern California at the time. So either three or four years old, I guess. And when we would go out to recess, I remember it as everyone being enthusiastic and running over the door and but at some point i I was apparently over enthusiastic or at some point in the jumping up and down of the door hurt another child. I just remember feeling very very guilty about that and 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 shame for that, and you know I don't remember the details of exactly what happened, but I think that that going from really just unbridled joy, just enjoying the moment, just being in the moment, oh boy, we get to go outside and play, to feeling, oh, you know, I've done something wrong and everyone knows it. I think that that kept on, you know, referring to the internal family systems, that's kept on with a protector part who really likes to beat the crud out of me when I get a little bit too happy or a little too big for my britches. Um, I I don't know how far to go with this, but um, I remember my first interview as a doc, I'd been a nurse before and a nurse aide before I was a doc. Um, So I had a few years there of training in in med school and residency. And the first interview went really well. I wasn't even all that aware it was an interview. Um, But when I, when I left it, uh, went outside to my uh, truck and um, just cussed myself out for five minutes. And the way I've put it together is just that that was that part of me saying, don't get too happy. You're going to someone's going to get hurt. If you get too happy, you just keep it, keep it down, keep it down now. And doing this work has really. And, you know, by the work, I mean, all the work that we have to do, um, Including with uh, with IFS and, and um, other 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 work, I, doing all this work that we do has let me talk to that part. And I know we've talked about this a little bit. Um, try to reframe the IFS idea is that those parts have something to say. They're trying to be helpful. They're just reacting as though you're a little kid mm-hmm. with no agency still, because they think we're still there. They're trapped mm-hmm. in that, and they take the driver's seat at times not realizing that they're not your real self, you know, your Buddha nature or Christ consciousness, whatever you want to call the true, true self. Um, and they need to be shown that they're not and asked what the messages they're trying to give. And in IFS, and I know not everyone thinks this way, but in IFS, it's, you can convert them to being a different type of messenger. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I'm sure there are all kinds of ways uh, to respond. I know that the work I do is a little different, but um, yeah. I mean, I think that we all have very unique situations, even though there are some similarities across, you know, many of us. Mm-hmm. And the ways we go about healing will be unique too. And I think that's that's a healthy thing as well. I, um, I, I think I'm hoping that we're moving out of this, you know, everybody has to do it this way kind of thing, because we'll we'll miss out, you know, I know that for me, so much of the way that I've approached things have, has changed over time because I've changed, and what's appropriate mm-hmm. now is different than what was a few years ago and, and because we're also different too, what's appropriate for us will be different as well. But I do think that there's a lot of, a lot of possibility in these um, mechanisms we use, these constructs, um, mm-hmm. and having conversations with them. I know that when you told me that story, it reminded me of so, so many people who who either uh, come on the show or just talk to me or share their story about how through this work, they discovered that one thing when they were a kid and right. they misinterpreted, you know, maybe about at the right. time, but they somehow locked this in this attitude or ideas about things because of this one incident and for the rest of their lives it it, it it colored everything for them and not always in a good way obviously I mean this has compromised your ability to feel safe and free in feeling joy right so on the upside I think that <laughs> doing this kind of work could be wonderful right okay my job my homework now is to feel unbridled joy I think <laughs> I'm going to go do that now right <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. how has that gone? Like, how, how have you been kind of working through that? Do you still feel that anxiousness about feeling joy? Or have you noticed and, and kind of changed it, changed direction? And
1: Well, going? you know, there, there's, uh, there's good days and, and, and less good days for, for doing that. Um, so I, I think, well, you know, being, being aware of it is one of the most important parts And Mm -hmm. I can now at least identify it when I'm having a self-governing day that I don't need to have. So I I think doing this work, it's important that we take it on for the long run. I mean, we can have Mm -hmm. these moments of insightfulness, the ineffable experiences, and... Books can be written and make a lot of money about those experiences. But I think the real work is approaching these from different ways, as many as we need, until we come to a place where we can have those days. I mean, in my case, of actually experiencing joy without worrying too much. And so for me, like in Peru, part of what I did was some trauma release exercises that really brought me back to those places as a kid when. I didn't have agency and other people were doing a great job of, well, of beating me up. It wasn't not super exciting revelations, but, uh, just getting bullied as a, as a skinny kid uh, back in the day. And, uh, mm-hmm. being able to hold that now and have a safe place to hold those experiences. The, the boy that was experiencing those things back then, um, and then also taking on, you know, talk therapy and doing the IFS therapy. Um, working mm-hmm. with folks who, who do the plant medicine and um, all these things together. Uh, I think these days, well, I know these days give me more, more good days than, than not. And no have let me be more present, experience... This moment, this life, more fully than I would have mm-hmm. uh, if if I were still cringing as much as I as I had been.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. Like we talk about kids being bullied, and uh, I mean, I was terribly, and
1: mm-hmm.
0: I remember being so surprised that that parents weren't as concerned as I thought they ought to be. You know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> um, it it seems like once you put the word bully on something you know assault was okay and you know terrorizing people was okay and in the corporate world we just change that and we call it um politics right you know oh company politics it's like it's such a gentle word for what's really taking place you know this aggressive stuff and it does it does have impact on us and it does go deep within. And actually, when you think about it, there's a the bullying in, in grade school and in childhood. And it it's almost like it just carries on, right? We carry on. Yeah. We don't, you know, we'd like to believe we progress a great deal, but those people involved <clears throat> in these behaviors, they just kind of take it right into adulthood with them, unless they unless they address it. Like there are right. many people who who do this work too who have been the people who are wounded in such a way where that made them have those behaviors like that bullying behavior because of all of their systems internally, you know, to keep them feeling safe or in control or what have you. Right.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, now, now that you're saying that if we, in regard to what we were talking about the other day and in, in that people who differ in opinions feel like they're being attacked now and have to attack back which is exactly that cycle that we learned as kids. I mean, if you want to stop being bullied, you have to be a bully yourself or feel better about it. You have to either pass it on or fight back or whatever. We're Mm -hmm. walking around as a bunch of injured people, fearful of others. And when someone comes on strong on one of the social media platforms, it is really likely to trigger many of us.
0: Mhm. We're learning a different way and I mean I think there's a couple of things going on here right. <laughs> I think Absolutely. that this is this this uh, harmful and and unhealthy behavior is is reaching some kind of zenith. It's like it's so obvious mm-hmm. to all of us really. Even those who are engaging in it, I think we all feel this, right? And right. at the same time Uh, there's a new way of being that's being introduced and we all know that when new things come along you know initially they're ridiculed and all kinds of things right it's a threat it's a threat to our way of being this new way you know yes and but it is seeping into our reality all over the world people are making these these big changes and it's understood and I think that if you look at Uh, humanity as a being in and of itself it's like you know this is entering it's like when you're healing physically when you get some detox happening and there's the herxheimer response (laughs) i think we mentioned this in a previous show no 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 we don't want that we're we're doing fine as we are you know knowing full well we're not and and this is what's happening and it's a promising thing too because in medicines when we Um, in this way that we have learned right whether it's because of entheogens or as a result of the work we do afterwards probably a mingling of all kinds of of efforts that we make along the way and adapting to new ways we know that if we're really going to heal something it has to reveal itself to us it has to be obvious Mm -hmm. so there's great promise in what's happening what's erupting all over the planet right now (laughs) it's not sustainable we can't go on this way and we don't want to teach our children these things. We know no. this.
1: Right. Yeah. That's a very hopeful way of looking at this. I'm, that's, that's nice.
0: Yeah. No. And I yeah. think that it, it's true. Um, this, is, this is in our face for a reason. Just like yeah. when right. some behavior of our own is something that we are ready to heal, it becomes obnoxious and so obvious. And we're so aware of it. It's like, oh, I can't. I can't go on yeah. with that. <laughs> I know now, <laughs> you know, it's not all hidden and covered up nicely, you know, right. it's, it's so ugly and apparent. It's like, oh, OK, this has got to go. Uh, another thing we were talking about with, uh, I guess, a result of any kind of, you know, bullying or being beaten back in any way, externally, internally, all of this stuff makes us less likely to feel safe in being heard, to feel safe in speaking up. And I think that I've certainly experienced that. I'm sure many others have. And, and then there's something inside of you that knows that's not right. And it,
1: right.
0: it creates problems internally. It creates anger or frustration, all those things. And that's what you were experiencing in those, that corporate medicine situation where you didn't agree with what was going on, but you felt you had to go along with it. And then just mm-hmm. the anger keeps building because inside there's that part of you saying, get
1: out, right. you know, right. get
0: on with it. <laughs>
1: Yes, yeah, so and um, at that point, the, the defensive, angry Greg part has to come out to, to get me out of the situation.
0: Well, what's interesting is that the anger comes from knowing that that's not right. Right. And sometimes when we speak in anger, it's almost because there's a part of us that is afraid. Mm-hmm. And we're saying, you know, we're we're being defiant. We're defying that part of us that says, no, don't do it. Don't do it. You're going to get in trouble. It's like, no,
1: <laughs> I'm going to speak <laughs>
0: out, you know, but. Exactly. You know, hopefully in time we do all this work and we rise to the place where we're like, we can speak without it being that, you know, a uh, defiant thing. It doesn't have to be, it can be a very minute matter of fact. Right. And I'm wondering if this is what you felt when you you gave me that example we were talking about okay so you do a lot of work and then you come out the other side and it's like life continually gives you opportunities to demonstrate that you're committed <laughs> to that newer path right yes
1: yes right <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you had that builder situation so i want you to to oh. share that if you're
1: okay oh sure in in the realm of of little little successes Um, Sure, as I'm building this clinic, it's on on some land, uh, thankfully, near my house. And um, it's right now just wild, uh, just raw land. Um, And at this point in the history of the world, I figure we really should be leaving raw land alone as much as possible. So I have some mixed feelings about this, but was just trying to fit this small building in Amongst the trees in a way that wouldn't take down so many, and had this the manager uh, the builder who I was talking to um tell me nope these these trees are going, and this this road that we're putting in is not going to be quite what you wanted and I did go back to my prior ways of saying, "Oh okay, yes, sir, never mind that. I'll take that and see you later and it took a little while to remember the the lesson and um speak and not have to get the point of anger and just speak up from the the calm compassionate curious place that's the the real me and real everybody Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. go back and say no we'll we'll understand that we're worried about cost as well and and the realities of moving things through through the trees here but let's work together to make my caring for the land, a central part of this project. And it worked yeah. well. And he, he was willing willing to work with me on that and and willing to uh, discuss the cost involved. Uh, anyways, it wor- wor- worked out well and it was uh, with no relationships burnt. And that's greatly because I, I didn't have to rise up from the fear and anger. I let the fear and anger sit, I don't know how to say this exactly, but sit and watch while the real me came up and spoke. Mm-hmm. Uh, Take yeah. a back seat. Yeah, exactly. So
0: maybe you felt like that was there and available to you if you needed it.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And then I you mean realized you didn't. Right. <laughs> yes, they are potentially very useful constructs.
0: Yeah, I mean, at different stages. I mean, right. hopefully, right. Um, I remember when I was in an ayahuasca experience, and and I mean, a lot of people feel so differently about this, as I explained earlier, we're all at different places and uh, what's appropriate for one person, you know, at, at a yeah. certain stage would not be for another. And we'll all do, you know, different kinds of work at times too. And right. so for some people, anger is is a vehicle. They'll they'll be using it for for a purpose at this point because they aren't in the position to, you know, it's not appropriate for them to, or they're not ready, or they're not able to um, use other ways at this time. And it, it does move them forward in ways. Mm-hmm. It also elicits a response though, as you mentioned, you know, burning bridges and things like that. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's that's what's needed at some points with some people. With me, I know that, Um, I'm being asked to do things very differently and to just, and to let it all go to face it, to absolutely confront it for sure. And it's, it's hard, but um, it's, and it takes a long time, (laughs) 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 but I remember ayahuasca, there was this message that came through so clearly and, you know, she said, you don't need anger. And she said, Mm -hmm. um, you can let it go. And one day, there will be a generation that won't know that language at all.
1: Mm, beautiful.
0: Yeah. And I thought, okay, that's a goal worth working towards. Right. So, yeah, it's different for everyone, but it's it's good to see it as a possibility of getting to that place ultimately where we can let go of it. I'm, I'm hoping maybe in a couple of generations. <laughs> I know with my son, he experienced all my range of reactions. Mm-hmm. And, and he's going to have to do the work too, but that's okay. Right. At least he's starting to do it early.
1: <laughs> no kidding. I, I mean, that's yeah. so fortunate. I, I wish when I was a teenager, I'd had some sort of mentor in, in, in doing what we need to do.
0: Oh yeah. We need much more of this. We definitely do. And people who can help kids to start to realize the importance of of discovering who they are and what they're about yeah,
1: yeah,
0: and why there are all those reactions. Another thing that we were talking about was that we're not really trained to speak out. You know, the way that the school system is set up is sort of like, you know, there's the person at the head of the class and they're sort of these wise knowing people and our part is to just take in everything that they say and, and kind of repeat it back to them to demonstrate that we, we've got fully what they're saying, but not coming up with ideas and sharing our own and saying, hey, you know what? I think we can do this differently. Let's do the class this way. And how about we do that right. instead? Now about we learn about that, And how do we vote on it? These are, <laughs> this would be great, right? I mean, this is the kind of education that, that I'm crafting for my son along with other parents to If we say we're a society that wants people to have a voice and to be heard and all of these things, we've got to start actually cultivating that within them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I had an English teacher in high school, was blessed with this guy who let us, instead of sitting at desks, we could bring in pillows and sleeping bags and whatnot. Yeah, he still had us do the work, we still learned what we needed to have a common, I guess, a common language, right, in the long run, but he let us approach it differently, without being quite so regimented, without being quite so strict in the things that don't matter.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I do think that we, we have a common language, whether it sounds the same or whether we can remember Fair. dates yeah. of historical events, or you know, whether we know where to put our commas and and other grammatic indicators. <laughs> There's a more important common language that, you know, is becoming more important, more yeah. obviously important to us now. Yeah. And I think that, you know, you and I were talking about the fact that, you know, we, we don't agree on some things um mm-hmm. that that I think is happening a lot right now where there seems to be a really big focus on, you know, certain ways of healing. And when people disagree, it's almost as though there's this pressure to create right. this this polarity, you know, it's like you're on one side or you're another. Well, we don't we don't have to look at it that way. We can, no. you know decide to to look at it uh to allow people to have their own ideas and still come together knowing that in the end we want the same things we may accomplish them differently
1: right yeah even if we right even if we approach things differently we still love each other we're still aware that we're both on the same path um and both yeah both human beings worthy of love and mm-hmm. and support
0: yeah and I need to go through our own uh, experience unhindered. Like, I remember seeing that on this path, I was, <laughs> it's astounding to me always, just even the more you know, you realize how much further you have to go. <laughs> it just keeps getting bigger. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to spend a lifetime, you know, trying to figure myself out and I may accomplish some of it, right? <laughs> right. And so, how, how can we ever claim to know another person? so completely and what's good for them when we're still figuring that out for ourselves.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I think that because it's obvious that there's this, you know, heightened tension in the world and heightened tendency to, to take on that argumentative, um, Mm -hmm. you know, stance and that, polarity and investing so heavily in it and aggressively in it I think that instead of getting into that conversation I don't think that that, that's that's going to work anymore I think we have to leave that entirely behind and start a new one yeah we will come into that new conversation with respect and understanding that we're all very unique and that we all ultimately want the same things and might do it differently I think that's that's going to be a very powerful thing one of the things that that reminds me of speaking of childhood is all these Mm. kids with different learning abilities, you know, they're all going to do these things very differently. And there are, and if we allow them, if we allow that and see where they go, like, okay, where are you going with that? It's not the way we normally do it, but what will, let's, let's let it go and see what comes out of it. And all kinds of things that we never could have anticipated could be produced by this. I mean, look at our history. Those mm-hmm. people who did things differently and were shunned and ridiculed and then ultimately came up with something pretty spectacular.
1: Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I can't uh, imagine being a, a teacher of children these days in the, <laughs> with all, uh, all the teaching to the test, as you were mentioning earlier, and, and trying to get everyone to think just the same way. It is it's a difficult place to be
0: yeah and I mean, so this is another thing that that comes up in our work that if we keep focusing on other people and where where we think they should be at, that's an illness in and of itself. And that's so much of the focus. That was something I realized early on, is wow, I'm really like thinking, because all these thoughts became so obvious to me, they were highlighted all the time, all day long. Right. Oh my God, I spent far too much time thinking about other people, what they're doing, what they shouldn't be doing. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's just, It was so damaging and, and took up so much energy. Right. And now I see that this is what seems to be a great deal of focus and We cannot continue down that road and and expect to do well at all.
1: Hmm. Right. Yeah, agreed.
0: I'm wondering if you have started to see things show up coming from a, a perspective of a doctor and seeing the kinds of illnesses and how they're revealed through these entheogens, through this work that we do of exploring ourselves deeply do you see that we're missing out on this whole other way of healing because we're only focusing on the physical?
1: Right. Uh, yeah. And, and from what I understand, I don't want to be consider- be putting myself as an expert at all, but the lowland Peruvian way, the Shipibo and, and others way is to see it all as one. And there there is evidence and uh, listening to Dr. Weil and some others talk a a while back about the next step after showing the beneficial effect of entheogens on depression, anxiety, PTSD, that sort of thing, will be to show the mind-body connection and that it can actually uh, heal bodily ailments too, at least sometimes. And I think that's true. And I think that from a, Western medicine perspective, a lot of it has to do with inflammation. Um, a lot of these chronic conditions that people put names on, which I may or may not agree with. But uh, whatever name we come up with, it's almost always got to do with, you know, your body's reaction to a, a virus or something environmental. Or, you know, just maybe all the stuff that we're eating these days that we didn't use to eat or these foods that have been processed in ways that they never were before. All I think contribute to inflammation, and it looks to me from what I've uh, seen and and read, that probably some of the body benefit and the mind-body connection with these entheogens is going to be that somehow they're addressing that inflammatory process. They're calming the body as much as the mind.
0: Yeah, but I mean, they're doing it also by helping us see what's what's going on that that is deeper, that's behind it, because like even the word inflamed, you know, don't inflame that Mm -hmm. situation. I mean, we know that this runs deeper than just your body reacting. And I'm not saying that that's not true with all the the food and all the rest of it. But there is a Mm -hmm. subconscious or an unconscious element at work where we are treating ourselves in this way because of our relationship with yeah. ourselves. And I think right. that the way that we've been going about treating illness or even focusing on all of that is just has to shift. And it is starting to shift, I believe, that we're saying, hey, guess what? We're not just these meat suits. We're not just these physical yeah. beings. You know, <laughs> This is so harmful, just this idea in and of itself. There's so much evidence, daily feedback that confirms that this is the idea. We're just physical bodies um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. emotions play a backseat. This is why we're, you know, when we go into the workplace, it's like, don't show your emotions, leave yourself at home kind of thing. And let's forget all about that. And it's not talked about around disease. Is it any wonder that the very few slices, you know, that we have in our life that are where emotions are allowed, like our relationships, it's like explosive potentially, you know, is <laughs> <it's> not allowed <laughs> to exist in any other way. And it's like, wow. Right. I think yeah, this is evidence uh, of a of a self disregard, like that humanity right. itself. We don't think of ourselves in such a respectful way.
1: Right. Yeah, and, and yeah, all that stuff. We're not respecting the things that become food for us. And when we put those into our body, we're not respecting ourselves. We're not respecting respecting the world or or our being in it, in the way we're processing and approaching um, how we live, how we eat, sleep, the goals of just pushing through everything, having to hustle all the time, putting so, putting whatever we can into our mouths.
0: So those are the symptoms. And this is another yeah. thing is the high, high focus on symptoms and even the shaming around it. Fair. So... I started to get a lot of insight about the environment. This is another separateness. Like we've been sold the separate. We've adopted the yeah. separateness mm-hmm. story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we are separate mm-hmm. from our emotions or our spiritual self. All of these things. It's like let's focus just on the physical. The other stuff is just, it's it's small and insignificant, and it's relegated to a very small chunk of life. You know where. We know that it's active all the time and it could be directing our professional choices if we let it like with you and so many mm-hmm. others, myself mm-hmm. included. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When we talk about how we, we as a society, so you know, we, we treat the environment badly. We're treating ourselves badly. We are the environment.
1: Oh yeah,
0: right. We, right. This is us, <laughs> you know, there's no separate. So <laughs> if, you, if you had somebody come into your office that was harming themselves, was cutting themselves and this does happen you know this is the most blatant Mm -hmm. evidence of it like there there's evidence in my opinion all around us but that's the more obvious right right? you would have nothing but compassion for them right
1: right right so
0: when we see all of this harm happen in the world if we could start to look at it from more of a compassionate standpoint i think that that would open the door to a lot of things changing because there's so many people who are afraid to even look at that stuff because they feel so judged and they feel shame. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing that's being inflamed right now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it does not move us forward. If anything, no. it does the complete opposite. People shrink away and don't want to engage and they, they hide and protect themselves from any, all these accusations and, and shaming and, and um, ideas of wrongdoing instead of opening up and feeling safe enough to explore that, like, okay, how are we doing that? Why are we yeah. doing that?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think that we would heal you know, the world much more quickly if we were inviting and allowing and, and, and admitting that we're all part of this, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, I yeah, don't not- think that there's just these bad guys you know, right. and, and I think we've got to start to take some responsibility there and open up safely with one another. This is what we're doing part of this work, right? I mean, Absolutely. think of yourself 10 years ago. Think of yourself and how you would feel about opening up about this stuff.
1: Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Can you imagine that?
1: Uh, yeah, it was a different place. Different place entirely. Learning to be present and have at least some compassion for myself as well as others uh, has has been, well, as my therapist says, it's the only game in town.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I mean... There was a time that I know personally, and I'm sure a lot of other people felt this way, that revealing any, any wrongdoing, anything that would hint that we were doing something harmful to others or ourselves, mm-hmm. I could never utter a word like that. It's not safe. So what kind of environment does that create? Everybody holding their breath and hiding behind doors. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only thing that really moves us forward is to get this stuff out on the table.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, learning transparency and, and uh, losing fear related to that has been a big part of this for me.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's hard because we have this threatening society too. And it's odd that the threatening aspect is associated with, with health, like this punishment <laughs> and threatening. And because we know from those internal mechanisms that these are the things that within that are we're trying to actually change and Soften and, if not dissolve completely. Right. So, I, if we look at those outer aspects, going, okay, this is something that we have manifested, you know, over many, <laughs> many years. And once we change them within, I mean, think about the people walking around now with these ideas of compassion and openness and all the rest of it. They're not going to fit in a world that is threatening and polarizing and, and all of those things. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. going to have to create new systems, new ways of being, have new conversations.
1: Yeah, I, I like your message that there's going to be a generation that doesn't know this way of being. I think that's
0: what everybody wants for the next generation or the generation after that. And right. you know, we have to start here. But so many of us have stories about how we hit rock bottom or we were in an unlivable, untenable situation and that's the only thing that drove us to mm-hmm. start to want to change, start to be open mm-hmm. to these strange ways of feeling, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it was pretty weird to me at the beginning. I mean, I, I could never have imagined being where I am now. But yeah. so when you look at the world going so crazy, it is driving itself to that point where it needs to embrace something completely new.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the hope.
0: Well, I mean, you're a good example of it. The way that you had practiced medicine initially won't Mm -hmm. be the way that you're doing it moving forward. Right? Right. Wouldn't it be cool if all doctors spent some time being a nurse? I mean, I'd love to hear your (laughs) idea about that because the nurse is all about, care, you know, you can't, I don't think that, I mean, I'm sure people do, but there is more of a personal relationship implied, you know, by nursing, more of a direct connection with, with patients, right?
1: Um, certainly implied, and uh, certainly in the hospital, that's often what happens. These days, independent practices are being bought up fairly quickly, so we, we really are moving towards a more heavily corporate influenced practice of outpatient medicine. You know, there has been an arc towards faster and faster um, encounters, faster and briefer encounters between a provider and and patient in the outpatient scene. And that's been through a number of different reimbursement forms in the US.
0: So there's an incentive, there's a financial incentive.
1: Oh, always. And, and, you know, whether, whether it's, you know, get, getting paid by doing a specific activity and therefore if you do more and more of those activities in an hour, you get paid more. Or if it's making your patients look as sick as possible so that you'll be paid more for these sick patients, both of which came out of good idea or, or well-meant mean, well ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, but both of them end up I think the experience for physicians, anyways, at least in the United States, is huge amounts of paperwork. I mean, like twice as much paperwork time as patient-facing time, and that feeling that you're never quite catching up. You still, as a as a physician, I think this is broadly shared. You still have that. Oh, I, you know, did I do that right? Or you wake up in the middle of the night, wake up in the middle of the night remembering that you forgot something the day before. Mm. Um, yeah, overwhelming, and then essentially having your agency to see patients the way you want taken away from you by your now employers who have been buying up all the practices. Mm-hmm. Um, so a- at least in in our area, uh, and I think from, from what I've read in the press all across the U.S., both nurses and docs have been quitting faster than before. A lot of uh, practitioners are moving towards a direct primary care model, where it's a membership model, there are certainly downsides to that. But the upside is you can take as long as you want with your patients. You have smaller practices, and you can rebuild those relationships that we used to have with our providers. Mm -hmm.
0: And the way that you see even illness and that relationship must have changed dramatically from when you began. So share something around that if you can.
1: So I still, um, no, I still do a lot in the Western medicine mold, but what I focus on is prevention. Because it, So education and prevention. Mm-hmm. If people don't know that they're eating garbage, they're going to continue doing that because it tastes good um, and or it's quick and or they forgot how to cook. So doing things like teaching people how to shop for healthy food mm-hmm. in a way that won't break the bank, Um, teaching people how to cook, um, how to create quick meals, because that is the reality of a lot of folks these days, and just teaching them and letting them make the decision um, Mm -hmm. about what the consequences of eating fast food and other processed foods are. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I think, yeah, having a little more time, um, with patients in general gives one the ability to sit with them and just sit with them and hold Mm -hmm. space for whatever comes out instead of saying, oh, you have this, I'm going to write a prescription for this, or I'm going to tell you this canned speech. You do a lot more of the coaching instead.
0: Mm -hmm. No, that's brilliant. And And What do you find comes out of that? Like when you have time to sit with people, you learn a lot more about them. And and another thing is we were talking earlier about feeling like you can't speak up. You're giving them an opportunity to be
1: heard as well. Right. And people, I I mean, you know, my model is I was fortunate enough to have a guy as a family practice doc when I was a teenager. And we actually both ended up working at the same HIV clinic when I was a nurse. Um, and he always had a board, it was a chalkboard at first and then a whiteboard later. He would always find something to draw for you. And it could range from, you know, your kidney to um, that picture of a jail cell that only has one wall, but the person feels they're in jail because they're holding onto that wall so tightly. <laughs> um, so he would he would hit all the bases and uh, it, was, it was wonderful being with him because he listened, was non-judgmental. And, yeah, just held space for me when I was, when I really needed it as a teenager. And I try to do that, you know, in my best moments. Maybe I will get close to that uh, in my position now.
0: Yeah. And another thing is given all the things that we've learned about that relationship between our emotional reality and our physical one and that connection, I'm sure that you must see that those connections as well.
1: If people feel completely beaten down, they're not, they're not going to take care of themselves. If they're just mm-hmm. not heard, they're having to hustle for everything. They feel powerless. They feel without agency as an adult. Everything bad from your child is just going to come up in that. All your, all your old coping mechanisms from when you were a child are going to come up all your parts, and you're not going to be able to take care of yourself without a huge amount of effort. And so our I, I think our role as healthcare providers or as counselors, coaches, human beings with another human being is to help bring out what's what's powerful and beautiful in them
0: mm-hmm. in each other. That's beautifully said. and you know, Also, this whole fear around illness, too. I mean, this has a con, there's consequences to that as well. I mean, right, and in this shamanic learning, it's like there's a whole different idea around these things that is presented to us, and it's so much more empowering. Um, and it's Mm -hmm. so less about fear and more about understanding or seeing things very differently. So a lot of times the way I see it now is my body's talking to me, you know, it's making mm-hmm. itself heard. <laughs> and then I have to listen right. to it, you know, completely and be not afraid to do that.
1: Right. Which is not, yeah, which is a, a, something we have to learn to do.
0: Do you ever um, talk to patients about, about how they they feel that these things started? Cause sometimes people also mm-hmm. have tremendous insight you know surprisingly mm-hmm. about
1: yeah yeah and it's actually you know it's it's actually in how we're taught in western medicine that we are supposed to ask about the big very beginning of whatever the condition is but we usually turn that into a one sentence or two word <laughs> summary uh of the onset of the problem um but absolutely people have very interesting ideas and often which which sometimes i will have to stop and listen to the story again or listen to a longer version of the story to to get to where i understand understand the perspective the picture of the story and can maybe introduce a new if not narrative some new um, elements to their story.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because sometimes these symptoms are showing up, not necessarily where everything began. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, with my situation, there was <laughs> it was very funny because I knew something was going on in my head in one of the cavities or recesses in there on a physical level. Mm-hmm. it's like, mm-hmm. and it's very funny going to a doctor and saying, "Look, it's in my head." <laughs> It's my head. <laughs>
1: <You're
0: right. laughs> and I mean there would be ear specialists or you know eye specialists or whatever and it's not really getting to the place where I felt something mm-hmm. was going on and now things are starting to move and flesh out that I'm detoxing and it's like okay well wherever <laughs> they resided they're coming out now it's not pretty but you know <laughs> at least there was something right. there and I've heard so many stories about people saying, you know, I think it's this, and the doctor saying, no, 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 buy the book, this and this, you know, right, and right, right. you have to wonder how much more even efficient, let alone respectful and you know, and just you know, more open how, how much better things would flow if we just heard people.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no doubt about it.
0: I think that we will close on that message of listening and Opening up and all those great things. And I wonder if you can share more information about your practice, about how people can get in touch with you if they're interested. Um, website, things
1: like sure. that. Sure. Uh, and I'm hopeful that my website will actually be up by the time this this posts. Um, it mm-hmm. will be jibito.com. Um, uh, that's G-E-B-I-T-O.com. That's my initials and the Spanish diminutive. And folks can reach me if they'd like to uh, at greg, G-R-E-G, at gibito.com.
0: Wonderful.
1: It's been a pleasure and, and a long time coming. So thanks, Rebecca, for all we've done together over the years and, and for this, this conversation.
0: Thank you. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Ayahuasca Talks. Please visit RebeccaHayden.com for more ayahuasca integration content and for information about working with me and using hypnosis as an empowering integration tool.